All right. Well, welcome to Suggested Donation. I'm Edward Minoff. And I'm Tony Serenai. Hello. That's Jay Braun, Jay Braun over Braun, there. Braun, Braun. And we're here with... What? Go ahead, Jay. And we're here with uh, Juliet Aristides. Yay! Yay, glad to be here. <laughs> Super excited Thank about you so this much one. for taking time out of your East Coast trip to uh, join us. It's a pleasure. Yeah. It's great to see you guys. Yeah, it's been a long time. We've known each other for a long time, but we haven't seen each other in a long time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. What brings you to New York? I was teaching a class at PAFA. Oh, get out of here. Yeah, so I did a weekend master class, and it's a lot of fun to teach there because they have the old Furness building, which was uh, where they have their cast hall and they have the museum. And so when we teach there, when I teach there, we have the life model, the cast hall, the museum, and just take make use of all of it. Yeah. So it's just you know really living large for a weekend. <laughs> They've got a great collection. Absolutely. Like all their former students gave work. Is that how it Oh built yeah. Up? And they have some beautiful work like Paxton and Aikens and um, you know, Chase and whoever. Yeah. Tarbell. Yeah. Lots of great work. Those big guys. Do you yeah, have any of your guys. work? You went there. Damn it. <laughs> Where's my work? I left some behind one of the casts, so eventually they'll pick that up. Well, I was, a I was a student there for uh, a number of years, so it's fun being back and sort of overlaying the uh, old experience with the new experience. Was, is it, do you find much of a difference between old and new? Is well, it's interesting. It's physically the same, but there is a difference. You know, it's a bigger campus, but also just experientially, you have all these years between the mindset of being 17 and studying right. and then back again, you know? Yeah. What, um, as far as with the vibe there, how has it changed since you were there now? Meaning the struggles you went through there, are they the same struggles that you see or have things evolved? Um, I would say that the people back when I was a student, Although they have the history of, um, you know, Aikens and Cecilia Bow, um, ideologically it wasn't very interesting to people. And I think it would be too strong a word to say a pendulum has swung. Mm -hmm. However, there's a lot more people interested in this kind of work, as you know, yeah. over the years. So we've really watched this movement change quite a bit. Yeah, and so then your teaching there now is kind of like a. I mean, it that feels is interesting. Pendulum swung. It act, yeah, it really is. Did you feel personally. like you were fighting a little bit of an uphill battle when you were there? Or? It was really great. I didn't fight anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you caught a little bit of the sarcasm in that one, but we did. And it was beautiful. What was it? So what was it like then? When you well, were you know, studying. okay, you'll never guess who my apartment mate was back then. Was can we get some guesses? Yeah, like two guesses, two, two guesses. or three. Don't bore um, anybody. Uh, is it somebody we know? Yeah. Uh, Water Street days. I think he was before he, you. Oh, okay. So oh, we got dread, it. I already got it. <laughs> so we have it fifty percent. Um, Michael Grimaldi. No, <laughs> although no, I I only met him after John Mora. days. No, after. Okay. Maybe you don't know him. That was two. Go ahead. Robert Armetta. Robert. Oh, Robert! The Crusher. The Crusher. The Crusher and I were roommates. He, um, and he was working on these beautiful cast drawings, and uh, even back then. And were you also, or w did he uh, kind of introduce you to that a little bit? Well, I was coming fresh from uh, Barnstone Studios, which was oh, a small right. studio in, in Copley. So I had spent, between that and then PAFA, I did three years of my longest life drawing was probably a three-hour drawing in years. I mean, years of wow. life drawing. And so the extended poses really only started to happen after that. Mm -hmm. Wow. Now, 
you said you you came from Barnstone uh, prior to that. I've yeah. heard so many stories about. Is there any stories you can tell? Because a lot of people don't even know what that is. But I, I've never been there, but I've heard. You know, it's interesting because he is a fellow. Um, he is. Uh, Myron Barnstone, Myron. Uh, who opened up this small studio in Copley, which is really this tiny, tiny little town. But um, growing up, I had never been exposed to anyone who absolutely passionately uh had devoted their life to art, and not in sort of a minor way where they're willing to give you a few pointers, but he would be willing to hurt you, like step on you and kick you out, <laughs> and just because he believed in it so strongly, like yeah. people were smaller than the vision. And it was exciting as a student. I mean, it was terrifying. Yeah. But also that was the thing that was exciting about it is here's someone who would hang their life on something. And I mean, you're, we just talked briefly about how everyday life can really get you down. And the more you know about life and the more you experience it, uh, the more respect you have for people who are able to see a little bit further and, have, and maintain their vision. So here's someone still ferocious teaching the same 14 to 21 year olds or however old people were when they're studying day after day in a tiny town that probably couldn't appreciate him. And so when I first showed up, it was exhilarating. But I didn't say a single word for the first year. <laughs> Literally not a word. Yeah. There's How a whole old bunch were you of, at the time? I was, I was 17 is when I, and then I went straight from there to Pennsylvania Academy. Now, when you were there, was, was there anything before that or any experience that you that you kind of showed passion like that? You know, it, I don't know about you, it's not, people are normally very polite. It's actually not common to bump into people who are so um, just overtly for one thing. Yeah. It's yeah. sort of not done. And so when I was growing up, I, I really didn't see a lot of that. And, but from my experience, the first person that I really bumped into that I felt embodied that for me is when I was a teenager um, coming to Philadelphia and I saw this book called um, The Reveries of a Solitary Walker and I picked it up and it was Rousseau and okay. when I was reading his writing it's strange because if you go back and read those essays it's almost like a teenager like a completely alone alienated teenager who's trying to even though he was an old man when he wrote it and feeling like there were people out there. <laughs> you found this kindred spirit in Rousseau. I, I did. As I actually a... did as a, as a teenager, and so <laughs> I, I I managed to get high school credit for writing and walking in the woods and sketching. And it's funny how so many years have gone by, but I never really grew up from there. What made so, you go to this school with the really intense guy? Um, it was after high school, and I was I had taken classes. There was a sculptor. Um, that I took some classes with, but um, I was at a, a tiny college and it just wasn't working out for me. So many of us, it's, okay, this is uh, just <laughs> a, a little uh, non sequitur, but today I met a fellow who runs this place, it's called the Living Torah Museum, and he's got the oldest um, record of the Ten Commandments, and it's just here in Brooklyn, and he collects Whoa. all these things that are just unbelievable, and he put them in my hand. He said, there's only 20 of this type of coin that they would use back 2000 BC, and he would describe, you know, he could read all these ancient languages, and he talked through the art of it, and he just dropped these things in my hand. <laughs> really, like it was history <laughs> from museum, they just let you touch it. I mean, part of this cuneiform 
tablet actually was like crumbs of it were my hand is and he said that um, he was dyslexic and he could you know he couldn't read very well and so he overcompensated and so because he, he learned to memorize you know symbols and languages and was relentlessly curious so for him something you could physically touch was electrifying and so he said um, it's important to encounter history because when you touch history history electrify you know touches you back and so um, when I was a kid, I think, and I compensated for the same sort of reason, I'm not an uber historical genius like this fellow is, but um, for me, a lot of things felt remote, but being in the woods and looking at things very carefully, um, I found very exciting, and so I found that I had an infinite amount of uh, aptitude for just um, physically studying and very little of an aptitude for academic yeah, in terms of yeah. that way. So anyway, I heard of this guy who taught the Golden Triangle. Oh, right. <laughs> I mean, he's sort of known for that. Yeah. Yeah, and so this idea that there and, could be... And that's at and, Barn, Barn, Barnstone's. Yeah, area. I don't know why we're talking so much about this, but... Um, we're just getting started. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, so when you were in the woods, it, it sounds like you were, you were being a, you know, you were, you were being a philosopher. You were, um, so... Artistically, it seems like you were coming to art via this thinking exactly. path. Exactly. Exactly. And then when I when I picked up Rousseau's book, I'm, you know, there's no words for it. I mean, still like looking back at some of the the passages. I mean, there's a lot of it you can discredit, but there's something really interesting about someone trying to make sense of the world that they're living in, and trying to find a sense of, you know, why am I happy? Why am I not happy? And and him looking for. You know the, the the times in my life that I'm I feel most at peace in my environment are not these sort of electric highs or pits, but um, moments of uh, thought and quiet and connection. And so I think many people in the arts. I mean, I don't know why we're all doing what we're doing, but certainly some of it is this kind of reconciliation. Just enjoying the moment of meditating on something and trying to capture some element of it. Well, you know, you do paintings of waves. There's nothing more ephemeral, transitory, or hard to pin down than a wave, right? <laughs> it's so fun to just sit there staring and go in the ocean and let them break on me and just watch them from every angle and just over and over and over again. And it's endlessly interesting, I find. So do you find it discouraging at all, the fact that oh, you're trying to yeah. capture something that, of, you know, it's like trying to capture sound or something? Yeah. yeah. It does feel like it's a challenge that I will always have with me. Like, I, I'll never run out of challenges when I'm doing it. You know, that's kind of the exciting part, is that I, I'll never get it. But I'll always have something to, you know, to aspire towards. I'll always have more work to do. Does that sense of trying to stop time in a very, just like sort of freeze it right then and there, do you, do you think about holding on to it? I almost try the opposite, like to try to, rather than try and stop time, try to make the picture be moving in time. That's kind of my idea, is that if I, there's a succession of waves, because I used to do animation, and that sort of the interest uh, maybe stems from there, the, you know, animating movement and creating movement out of, you know, a succession of drawings. And so different parts of the painting can kind of describe different moments in time so that it winds up being kind of a bunch of different moments assembled. And I think that's something that we all experience when we work from life, from a live model. It, uh, 
I say this a lot to students, that um, you're witnessing or you're sharing this experience with a model and the models are not still and you're sharing three-dimensional space with them and you're seeing them, you know, maybe walking around and seeing from different angles and you're, everything, every mark that you put down is a choice and you're seeing so much and you're choosing this and selecting that and, you know, editing out this uh, based on some aesthetic vision that you have. And I, I, I think it's very similar. Yeah. Do you find that, um, so why choose painting over animation for say, if you're trying to capture movement, what is it about the still representation of movement that's different for you? I guess animation, you know, you watch it and it's done. Also, it's hard to find an outlet for, uh, there are a few people who do it, but for, you know, confronting anything that feels really meaningful in animation, I was doing you know, McDonald's commercials, and it's hard to feel good about yourself at the end of the day. And uh, I, you know, I just have always been drawn to painting, and actually the painting waves just came out of nowhere. It sort of, uh, it was very unexpected. I, I just sort of tried it, and sort I grew up around you. it. Yeah, yeah exactly. It didn't come out of nowhere, though, because you were adding something that was very familiar to your life. You were... Well, yeah. You said you were. I mean, I, I didn't. I know this. That you, yeah. But you were going out to, to Long Island for a, lo a large part of your life. So the idea that you were, you were out there, and probably some of the best memories you've ever had were out there at the beach, hanging out, looking at the waves, being in the water. So it probably just it, just it's part of your life and it's something that reminds you of great times and, and you saw the beauty in it back then. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why we all choose to paint what we paint, right? I mean, there's something that feels, you know, inspiring and, and familiar at the same time. And what did you mean by reconciliation? You said that word and then we kind of went on to something else. Oh, I think there's so much in there and I almost don't want to leave this idea of searching for something that feels like, you know, an I mean, eternal sounds like a, a crazy world, a word, but um, if you're looking at animation or something versus, and this idea of uh, movement and then trying to capture something that lasts, uh, the whole idea of trying to capture something that lasts or something that has a physicality to it, and, and our day almost feels, you know, you could really push the point and say it's absolutely irrelevant. It has no bearing on the culture <laughs> as a whole. And at the same time, that's exactly what we're trying exactly to do. Exactly what we want. <laughs> exactly know. what, we, yeah. Does it feel like it's an uphill battle to you against culture? Um, I wouldn't say that. I, I'd say that, well, on one hand, it's truly has, one doesn't have anything to do with the other, but that doesn't deny its relevance or its importance. They're right. almost like two parallel tracks, I would mm. say. Mm. But... Um, uh, I think it's absolutely uh, important, but at the same time, we have so many, many images, and there's so much that's ephemeral, and in fact, the culture is getting more so by the second. And so you look at something like we're surrounded by books and surrounded by palettes as we're sitting here, and that's an in attempt. The Salman, in the Salman Salman Gundy Club. Yeah, and, and, and books are an attempt at permanence in the same way that painting is. And then when you read what writers have written about art, almost all of them, when they truly articulate it, are trying to um, hold on to something and draw attention to something that I think is both um, gone and lasting at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense, right? It's a two paradox. It's a paradox. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> um, I, I think with all these things, like you know, holding 
the coin that I was holding this morning, in a sense, there's just this, the more embedded you are in real life, and you're describing it when you're trying to chase your kid around, you're talking about this sort of thing, there's an immediacy and a flow to life. And painting and art, an artifact in a strange way, I think, one one of the things that's so compelling about it is this continual reminder that underneath all the shifting movement and all the prog progress, there is um, there's a stability of something that uh, could possibly last. Does it last? Will it last? We want it to last. Right. And know, so creating for that. Do you know what that idea of stability is? Like, do you, is there anything you can put your hand your finger on like what is the stability what is the foundation of something that we can always use as a cornerstone or something to put our foot on to bounce off of it and i think explore. that's you know it, it's interesting because when you're watching people grow up and at one hand we're this amazing technological explosion that's nothing short of mesmerizing and more so every second and so that we're seeing things that 20 years ago would have just you know floored everyone mm. and we're adapted to it almost we, you know, we just take it in, and we hear it, we take it in, and yeah. we move on. Um, at the same time, there's billboards in Manhattan that I saw that show that, you know, the world isn't warming, it's dying. So you're getting two kind of messages as you're growing up right now. One is that the world, you've never been more powerful. The world's at your fingertips. And at the same time, you don't really have a future, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and so... Um, it's interesting because I think with the media landscape we're dealing with, we're messing with we're me messing with a, a really fragile ecosystem, not just the physical one, but a mental ecosystem, yeah. e ecosystem as well, right? Right. And so, um, you know, if you look at even allowing ourselves the time to, to rest and to even have a conversation like we're having, um, but um, to be able to, let me just rephrase this, if you're constantly bombarded, if every time you try to follow a train of thought, I. Um, you know, pushed your arm, you know, it's going to break up your train of thought. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so on one hand, we're all around us, we're being absolutely distracted by immediacy right, yeah. of everything. And at the same time, it's as important, I wouldn't say more important, but as important to be able to figure out what's lasting, is it lasting, could it last? Yeah. So do you think, I mean... The idea of we don't necessarily want to isolate ourselves from It's just the life. opposite. We've it's, never been, what we've done has never been more relevant yeah. to life, I think. And when you say what we've done, meaning... Not what we have done, but what art contributes. Contributes, yeah. Because for one hand, it's a striving for um, something that feels eternal or feels lasting. And so you're saying, does anything... Um, you know, if we start to pare down, strip things down, is there anything at the bottom of it? That's mm -hmm. a really important question. And those are the questions that I feel like art allows us to wrestle with. And I think that when art or if art disappears as part of human culture because there's not the time to make it or the time to take it in, it's, it won't go, it won't be less important for the, if it's not there, it will still be as important. What you'll be missing is an entire uh, exploration and um, expression of human culture that uh, we're all the better for. We're, it's essential. You know, it's yeah. interesting because when you start to read articles now, you know, you're reading the craziest things. Like, um, uh, I read in one uh, scientific journal that there's no spark of human life. Like, you know, where is it? You know, we've dissected the human brain all the way down. You know, human beings are essentially machine like. And um, when you read, things like that, 
it, it, it you know, it, there's a few questions that, that yeah. arise, but art, I think, has always been a little bit about the opposite, that there's something... Um, it's, it's so unmachine-like. It is so un... It is yeah. so... Yeah. But the idea um, is funny, because you were talking about these parallels, and what you just said is like the idea of like it's unmachine-like because it is this thing from inside and we can't necessarily say what it is it is like you were like a spark now having things like learning how to paint and draw is like you can teach that it could be very mechanical and mm -hmm. and its essence of this is how you do it and if you do it over and over and over again you hopefully will eventually get it and you'll become skilled and then right. from that it will possibly a spark will come out that's undescribable. Would you agree with that, or, or you know, the technical thing is really, really interesting. There's so much there because, on one hand, those of us who've worked incredibly hard to become technically trained on one at one point historically, it was enough to make something beautiful because, for one, nobody was able to do it, or very few people were able right. to do it. So it is in itself a sort of philosophy. Beauty, beauty can be in itself a, a very complete philosophy depending on who's saying it. Right. But in and of itself, it's not necessarily a complete philosophy. And so having uh, the skills doesn't necessarily create the outcome we want. Yeah. And the spark, I think, interestingly enough, um, probably the more we become acclimated to our own strange, quirky forms of brokenness, <laughs> rather than technical skill, the work itself can become something that is irreplaceable and mesmerizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you address that in your own work? Um, well, it's interesting because I feel like I've never mastered the material well enough that I could feel like I could pick and choose it. It's one of those <laughs> things. I think with drawing, perhaps more so with painting, but I haven't let it stop me. I, I still try to do work that I find right. uh, that pushes the, where I am just based on, I try to follow what I'm interested in rather than what I'm technically able to do, but I do give way to fear, I think, just like everybody yeah. else. <laughs> <laughs> We're all usually ho in our corners in a little like fetal ball, like, we can't do and it I, Tony and I spend hours reassuring each other on the phone. <laughs> so it, we it, do need that, yeah. It, it, I think so. I think everybody has to find a way to keep going for themselves, and it's, um, you know, absolutely not unique to us. And as, But one of, one of the things that... Um, maybe a little bit unique uh, to our profession is just the hum enormous amount of human investment in something that doesn't necessarily find an outlet in quite the way it should yeah. at yeah. this point. I think we all can agree. It's brutal. <laughs> that part of it is brutal. But you know, it is brutal, but it's interesting because, um, you know, uh, we, we, we were asking about like reconciliation between us and our environment. Um, in a way, I think, we're drawn so much into um, the digital world because our environment is so ugly and so alienating. And so I think that there is an important part, uh, role right now for people who are skilled in painting and drawing, but the problem comes is how, how do you create this bridge between the studio and a world that really, truly, desperately needs it? How do you do it? I, I think that um, it's an architectural problem, it's sort of a civic problem when you look at the way um, cities are designed, yeah. but I think um, we've, 
identified the need. And so now the thing is to figure out how do you get the work into those kind of spaces. And that's, that. I think, is sort of the, a next frontier in terms of where we go with this stuff. It's a really hard thing for people to defend. I mean, like politicians making judgments about art is, is a difficult thing, but that's how you get art in public spaces. And I don't even think so much like that. Like, if you look at... Um, I was unlucky enough to visit someone all of last week who was in a, a hospital, in a hospital room. And so you look in an environment like that and you realize no one there expects you to live. You know, you look around at the ceilings and the walls and the environment and it's, you know, human beings and civilization feels like an afterthought in a place, in a place like that. And um, to be able to look around in a, in a world and feel like you actually belong there is one of the, uh, well, I don't know, is that true? I mean, do we want to feel like we belong in the world that we're in, or is art supposed to be a call to something else? Like, this world is not your home, you know? Is it escapism? Yeah, but I think, I think just by nature, human nature, we all, in some way or another, want to belong, you know? So, I, you know what I'd love to get into a little bit is, um, I originally wanted to talk about, like, your training, but I'm like, I don't know if that's that important. I, I kind of want to talk about your books. Yeah, that seems fair. Yes, because um, you're on just, your fourth book, you're, right? Yeah, you're working on your fourth book. Yeah, but, editing right now. So, what made you want to make books and and put all that time into creating these? Great books, I think um, which are great, by the way. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, you know, they, they felt like an experiment, and it, w it was really difficult to do them um, for a number of reasons. One being I'm not a writer. That is challenging. But I think the way that I learn, I don't feel like I ever understand something until I've seen through to the absolute bottom of it. Like, unless I'm seeing, like, the floor, I don't, I'm never <laughs> convinced that I really own the material. And so with... Um, with my training, I just went back and started over and over and over and over again from the beginning. And um, I think when when I started studying, just like when I'm sure when you guys started studying, uh, you couldn't just go somewhere. There was no internet. You couldn't. Right. There was yeah. no community of people doing this really. Um, yeah, something we talk about a lot on the podcast. Yeah, and so it's really little bits of fragmented information. And so if you hop from one class to another, it's almost like being given an entirely different set of material. And so the idea with the the first two books was basically to create a reference where you could which was the classical drawing atelier, atelier and, and classical, classical painting, painting atelier. atelier, where you could get a bird's eye view of an entire education. It might not be the education you want. It might not be, um, you know, whatever. Uh, but from beginning to end, and in right. a way, by doing that, I felt like I really could understand a narrative arc of education and why it is the way it is. And I feel like having that has given me an enormous amount of freedom to appreciate, in a strange way, um, you know, having that sense of certainty enables me to appreciate what people are doing on either side of it a little more because I can see how it intersects. Um, it's sort of like, uh, you know, getting, uh, I'm visiting people who drive around with GPS, right? Mm -hmm. and, or Siri or whatever it is. So they're given a set of directions, turn left, turn right. And it's incredibly disorienting. It was for the people who were driving when they had no sense of where they were really going. They were just following these directions, oh, turn yeah. left, turn just right. Just looking at the, the next they turn, but like not knowing. They didn't have a map in their head. Correct, thank like, you. That's exactly what I'm trying right. to say. There was no virtual map. They were just they couldn't following. Zoom out. Right. And everybody was sort of panicked, <laughs> like they're flying. <laughs> yeah. um, 
and so it, there was no map and so it felt good to do the books for one reason to be able to give a bird's eye view actually when I did them I didn't think anyone could actually learn anything technical from a book very well I mean we could debate that yeah back and forth but uh, that was one reason and another reason that I did them was because I saw an article on Jacob Collins work right after um, an article on you know, six ways to glue elbow macaroni onto a paper plate with using a hot glue gun. There's six ways to do that? <laughs> at least. There's probably at least six ways. And so I thought, good grief, there's no context for this work. No, no wonder nobody gets it. And so trying to um, create a context for the work itself, bypassing, you know, connecting work that was being done or is being done by contemporary artists with historical artists, recreating that Right. Linear narrative. And did you feel like you had to do, you, you had mentioned earlier that you had sort of, you were drawn into going out in the woods and sketching because the yeah. academics really weren't like, and. I felt alive, you know. And it seems like yeah. you came back to academics in writing the book that you really probably had to study a lot of art history and, uh, and really get a sense of context so you understood where all these ideas fit in. Yeah, it, it wasn't, um, I, I guess so, but I always love to read. It's just that um, the box, you know, the I found when I was going through schools, mm -hmm. I never got enough background inf right. information, so I couldn't. I guess it's the exact same conversation. You couldn't see the floor. Couldn't see, I couldn't yeah. see the floor, and so I keep. Ha and so I couldn't do well. I mean, in anything, and so I had to go and recreate it for myself. And so the weird thing is that I've never stopped studying, and I'll probably right. never stop studying. So it's. And you love it. And I love it, and, and not just the art part of it. And so yeah. So do you feel like when you were writing the first book that you were? actually just you were educating yourself like it, it's all for me it's for it you all, it was all for me it, it was all for me and yeah. you approached it initially as like a skeptic that this could become something that would actually that would teach people and then no that's way too scary a thought it was just <laughs> it was just <laughs> a book for myself like if uh -huh. i could create a collection that i cared about if i could right. um pulled together a book that I wish that I had simply to save myself a decade of roaming around and banging into walls. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so it really started from that. So did you have to dig into um, the archives of past masters and, you know, all class classical education? Um, and if you did, was it internet-based or were you going like old school and going to the library and finding stuff and doing it that way? You know, it's interesting, but um, with each book, I sort of block it out like it's an immersive thing. And then when I move on to the next one, it just shut the door. But the thing was, um, I studied for a decade, like full time, yeah. not like taking summers off just as a student when I left school and until moving off to Seattle. And so I felt like a lot of the information I put in those books were really um, things that I'd been working very hard on all through the years. Mm. And then it's just a push to get um, to understand certain parts of it that felt a little bit hazy or, or mm -hmm. gaps, and or be able to articulate, or be able to articulate ideas it. that are so visual. Yeah, and and it wasn't the first two books. I didn't want anything new in there. I didn't want to make any major discoveries. Or I mean, that sounds crazy. I didn't. I just wanted to try to um, shore up. Right. What was there well, right we, now? Yeah. Yeah. When you were trying to synthesize a bunch of different influences, right? right. I mean, you had been to right. a bunch of different like ateliers and yeah. yeah, exactly. Did you discover anything that surprised you? 
Um, like in your research or getting all the information together, did you find something new that you were like, wow, or something that you didn't realize was going to be there? Or You know what, I, for one thing, I mean, there's some uh, things about it that were definitely, for the first book, um, with Watson Guptal, they had never used any digital imagery before. So the books that I submitted that were digital were the very first ones that they ever did that way, oh, which wow. is amazing, wow. right? And but and I used a hot glue gun, really not a hot glue gun, a glue, you know, glue and like scissors, glue and yeah. you know, like put together <laughs> layout stuff um, before working with a designer who yeah, was able who to just help did me. It on the computer. Yeah, <laughs> and. Um, so, and then by the third book, I was already so far behind in terms of how advanced it was to submit things that none of, very few of my images were able to make it in terms of submissions. Um, but apart from actually physically making the book, I mean, we could turn to any one chapter and every single image had a story. I mean, there wasn't one image I felt like made it in that didn't have either like a trip driving a couple hours in order to get this thing to happen. There was, in fact, when I first got the book um, in the mail, I walked down to the lake so I could just open it like with nothing around. And I opened it and I was so disappointed. Um, because you mean the, a, a copy the of it? first physical copy bound <laughs> like copy that was sent to me just a like the like a proof not the actual what, the physical, actual book the I never saw book. it okay. I never saw it oh really pulled so together you, didn't, you never like approved and just no don't do this don't do that well no, you do changes, the way yeah. that it works is pretty funny because you have a couple back and forth proofs but by the time you make the last changes you never see it in the final form they never right. send you the here it is. This is exactly this is how it it's going like, to look, yeah. and um, and then certainly not That's with the cover and not found, right? Yeah. So and you're disappointed, you said. I was bitterly disappointed because I felt like I I felt like blood should have poured out of that thing. I felt like it should have been heavier. <laughs> I thought that. Um, That's it. That's it. That's it. Um, but working with with artists is a challenge in a way that I didn't anticipate. Yeah. Um, we're, we're we're a wily bunch. We're hard to. You know, to, yeah, to yeah, exactly. The first one of the uh, folks, I had to work for six months to get his images, and then in order to get, then I finally got the images. Then he, they said that they actually had sold the copyright, so I, they didn't even own the copyright. So I had to contact to someone their own else. Work. Yeah, and then, and then in order to do that, I had to give my advance copies, all my advance copies, to the person who owned the copyright. You know, so it's a lot of that sort of oh, stuff. Wow. We don't need to go into it here because it's right. not inspiring. But, <laughs> but getting You're bartering. Yeah. Her. I mean, it's a lot of that sort of thing to actually to nail it down. Now, some of the images that you had in in the books, like of uh, the old master yeah. images, is is that pain to get the rights to show them or um, is it kind of it's not a free-for-all right? no no it's not um so there's uh there's a whole bunch of different ways and i partnered with certain places in order to get images like i've worked with all three books thus far and, and the next one with pafa and other institutions yeah. mm -hmm. in order to get access to the work and I either pay them or they give me some so and the arc has a lot of yeah images, mm -hmm. right? the arc has been great because although legally a lot of those images are now free from copyright. There's a whole bunch that are, you know, the artist has been dead, especially, you know, the second book with the um, Lessons in Classical Painting where I wasn't dealing with 19th century work, but even right. earlier than that. Uh, the artist has been dead for a long time and the ARC 
just sort of stand behind the images. So, oh, so yeah. Because it's the photographer, whoever takes right, the image, the then owns the image. Right, exactly. Oh. Is yeah. it just, I, I know it's the photographer, but does the museums have anything to do with it? Like the museums, Well, I think they the sometimes will limit photography of their work so that they can control the image. Well, sure. it's interesting. What I've started to see now, which I don't understand, is what, where museums will put, um, they'll, they'll own copyright on certain images, which I don't, I'm not sure about, like, do they own, do they copyright the image itself? I think they can copyright the photograph, but the, I mean, how could you copyright and Rembrandt? I've seen yeah. a couple things recently. I'll show you and you tell me what you think, where the <laughs> licensing on it says, you know, it said, whatever, we'll talk about later. <laughs> So you did a, th a third book called Lessons in Classical Drawing. Yeah. So how is that different uh, for you know those who don't have the books? How is that different from the um, classical drawing atelier? Um, with, with these next two books, uh, they're a lot more hands-on. The aesthetic of it is a lot more impersonal. I've become uh, much more interested in those books, um, the uh, Lessons in Classical Drawing and Lessons in Classical Painting which will be out next year, yeah. and, and more of the unfinished work, the 19th century work, American work, mm -hmm. um, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Does that just uh, reflect like a personal, like you're sort of turning more towards those works for inspiration? Or Yeah, I think so. I think that um, to some degree, uh, work is becoming very interesting to me that's uh, sort of quiet and... Um, unspectacular <laughs> in in a uh, so if you read um, like the essay that Ruskin wrote on a king's treasure so I picked up this essay it's like on a king's treasure what's a king's treasure what is it and it was about books mm -hmm. king's treasure was literature and he started off by saying um, there, how many of us actually, I mean, you guys are lucky because you have each other as friends, but how many, as, well, the rest of the world <laughs> actually ends up hanging out with the people that they really like the most? Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, and if you could pan out and look at, you know, the whole world, how many of you would stay with exactly the same friends that you already have? You know? I mean, I'd Perhaps. get rid of Tony in a yeah. second. In a I'd, second. Pick him, I'd pick Tony, Tony up. Right? You get rid of, yeah. <laughs> Did you hear that? She's picking me over you, Tony. <laughs> little horse <laughs> trading. Yeah. No. no, I'm saying when you abandon him. Right. <laughs> pick up the broken Tony. Why? Well, I don't want to be abandoned. <laughs> Stop it. So, that, so, he, he, so he said... Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, if you could go back and say, like, say there's somebody who's really, really interesting that you want to get to know, say you could hide behind their, like, curtain in their office or their room or their studio and listen to what they say. It'd be really exciting. You could just sort of be back there. And, yeah. um, and so he said, with books, these are people who are talking directly to you. They're not only letting you hide behind the curtain, they're sort of letting you in. And for many of us, um, we actually don't talk to the people closest with us about the things we truly care, care about. I mean, yeah. a lot of life is just taking care of whatever it is we have to do. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of time thinking about these things. And so with books, in a weird way, you get to talk absolutely directly to the people that you most admire. admire. It's time travel. It's time it's travel. It's total, total time, time travel. travel. Yeah. And so with that being said, a lot of these works that feel most exhilarating are not like the big performance pieces that are screaming. They're the ones where they're having a conversation and it's with me and I sort of get that. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. What artists do that for you? Um, I think that for fair, me... I don't know if that's a fair question. You know, it's, it's cha it, ch it changes a lot, 
but I'm, I always gravitate to work that feels really, really human. Or And so, like, uh, I was just walking through the Pierpont Morgan yesterday, and I was so annoyed by the curating of this one exhibition that I could barely <laughs> look at it. But there was just this piece of drapery thrown thrown over a bench. It was 19th century drawing. I didn't even see who it was. I just sort of on the way out, and here it is a day later. There were so many, you know, larger-than-life pieces. But what I'm still thinking about is this, it was this little piece of drapery thrown in the shadow on a studio, you know. Just some, like, humble little... Somebody paid so much attention to that thing. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Yeah. Now, with the books, you said you originally... Um, started off these books to be this kind of personal exercise, a personal exploration. Yeah. Do you feel like going forward that that's still the case or has it changed, the idea of wanting to make books? I write for myself because it feels the, the only way I can approach it with any kind of integrity. If I approach it for some generic audience, it feels utterly yeah, pointless. I get, yeah, I get that. Like it's just a job that I'm doing for someone else. So it's kind of the thing that you wish you had, you know, a decade ago, or. I, I wouldn't even say say that. I I think that this is, it sounds so morbid, but we just don't have that long to be here. Yeah, and true. so for me, it's I I want to do something with my life that counts, and so much of my life feels like what you were saying very busy and overwhelming odds and so to a book is always an attempt for it's, it's an attempt at permanence it always right. is and so mm -hmm. to be able to put something there that I can look at and say okay uh, maybe I'll be able to do better next year but for right now this is this is where I stand yeah it feels good to do that it's a hard thing to confront yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, I to say this is where I am right now. Right and, now, and also to say it's okay that what I just did, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not so proud of right now. Right, so. next time around. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I mean, I think that's the case with just with art. Just, I mean, in general, meaning if you're making a painting or that. Uh, I mean, we've we've had this conversation a lot about it'll get better. You know, the next one will be that much better, hopefully. What also yeah. feels like something that you'll spend a lifetime doing. I mean, and chasing it, it's and, exciting yeah. about it, I find. You know, they have that, the, yeah, I don't know if it's true, it's not true, but uh, these artists who live really, really old, because they just have, they don't have time to die. They're like, I don't have any time to die. <laughs> I have paintings I have to do, and I have to chase this thing, and I have to educate myself. So dying is out of the question. <laughs> do that tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. And in a weird way to see anything that sort of stands with its own point of view absolutely and truly in a world that feels so, you know, you can double check anything. You can make a case against just about anything. So it seems like a point of almost hubris, but like lovable, incredibly <laughs> attractive hubris to just, you know, get up the next day and continue to do something, you know? Yeah. yeah. So. Force yourself to continue to do it. <laughs> do you feel like your books in any way are sort of a manifesto against or, or you know, advocating for the kind of art that you care about and that maybe you had to fight a little bit to get to do? Yeah, I actually wrote a manifesto when I was <laughs> when I was in Pennsylvania Academy and I on a you know typewriter <laughs> and I lost it, but I spent a lot of time on it. And so in a strange way I feel like I got my big public stance out of my system then. It did me some good because I got to be angry. And with the um, with the things I'm I'm doing now, I don't I'm not against anything. Right. And 
I don't feel like I'm against anything. I feel like I'm very for something in particular. Do you know you what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel. Yeah. It, it doesn't even when I. It takes a lot to really even irritate me <laughs> to irritate <laughs> me to see because it feels like something else. It feels like somebody else's project. It's not in my space. But it's funny because so many people throw down that gauntlet. It's like you're either this or you're into that, or or you're either for this or for that, and it's like well. You can, I can just be into this, and all the other stuff can be fine, too. It is the, fine. I think they're dead wrong, but it doesn't make me mad. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I believe there is truth in the bottom of it. Right. And But it doesn't make me angry, or I don't feel any need to persuade anybody. Yeah. I'd like to make a case that something's beautiful and enable someone to see it, but not to... You know. Now, has that influence, has that same idea influenced your teaching as as far as very becoming so. a teacher? Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And how did that, I mean, is it something that you um, thought about as far as, uh, um, okay, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to start teaching it to people? Uh, oh, I see. Uh, teaching is m more, uh, I think teaching and studying are absolutely intertwined. It's mm -hmm only an attempt in a strange way to continue to study, to study yeah. it really is yeah. and I feel like for the when when I'm enjoying teaching uh, and I don't a lot of times I really love it there's times that I don't but when I love it it's because it feels like I'm learning You're so much doing, yeah. yeah doing something that I love and I'm learning from it's it. almost selfish it you know <laughs> you it's if you never want to leave art school right yeah. and so yeah. there we go <laughs> <laughs> now you have a um, you have a uh, uh, an atelier at the Gage Academy. It's sort of a, yeah. a school within a school. Is that correct? How it, yeah. yeah, fifteen years next year. Wow! wow. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, fifteen so, years. So, okay. how did that come about? Because um, that's kind of rare to have a school within a school. I think. Um, started teaching classes out there, uh, and then ended up just working with um, the same group of students and ended up within that creating I gave actually the directors a copy of Richard Lacks on the training of painters mm -hmm. and which is about the atelier method of study and really the best way to get an education in drawing and painting is just to physically do it and not to do it three hours once a week or once every other week but to dive in as you guys right. know and so um, that's really where people are going to see their main growth and so that's why I set it up and so yeah I have a full-time program within a school that does part-time oh, other things yeah, but yeah. they get hundreds of people coming through there it actually adds a tremendous amount of vitality to the space to the whole place yeah. itself mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and do you um and is it some how often are you there i've heard so many different teaching techniques of like sometimes they're there a lot sometimes they're there once i'm a week. in the space a fair amount because i have a studio in the building as well um, but teaching, you know, it's two days a week of teaching, mm -hmm. but, you know, sometimes I'll just work in the life room or on your own. Yeah. Or be around. Yeah. You know, on the whole teaching thing, I read a quote from you and I just wanted you, um, I, I liked it a lot, but it, it said, um, I've read that you were, um, as you mature as an artist, your work becomes more about, um, revelation, like things becoming, and do you, can you explain that a little bit more? Can you go into yeah. that? Yeah. Okay, so I'll just like do a quick pan. Where where do you, there, there's moments in your life when you feel truly, utterly alive, right? Yeah. Really inspired. Where does that happen for you? Like if you could pinpoint the last three times I felt electrified by life, can you pinpoint where it was? I can, yeah, I can, you know, 
I can definitely say because it's recent, the birth of my daughter was one, for sure. Just everything I thought I knew, I, it changed everything. And, and I've heard that, you know, from people who've had kids and everything. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it. But when it happens to you, it's just like, it, it happens. That would have, I would have to say that's one. Um, but that's an obvious one, you know, that you would think, of course, uh, that's a huge event. It's an event more than a, a moment. Of, of, <laughs> but I don't know. Like, I would have to sit and think about yeah, those, they, those moments where you're like, like the light went on. Or when the light, yeah. And so I, By think, that, do you mean like moments where you feel completely present in that moment and it, yeah, like, like you feel content where you are in that moment? Or, or like creative excitement? What are you referring to? Where... Where I guess you could combine a lot of these things. One, you're you feel incredibly present, but you're also things are starting to connect. It's mm -hmm. both um, you're taking in and you're also extrapolating, making meaning from it. Where all these things start to come, mm -hmm. you know, if you break down revelation, it's something coming from outside in. But you're in a position where you're at able, the right place. You're at the right place to receive. It. And I think for a lot of like when you're reading about a lot of people, it's going to be. Uh, um, you know, it's not going to be looking on the internet for most people, yeah. from a, you know, a museum home of the muses, you know, so that might be a place where some people go. Where is it for you? I've noticed that a number of, of different places, um, but it's interesting, like, uh, you know, I've heard our culture described as sort of an alcoholic culture where there's no sense of a, um, a pr you, you lose a sense of a present. You're either like a step ahead or you're living in the past, but that ability to absolutely connect where we are in the, pre like in, the, in, the yeah. in, in the moment, but also be connected to something where we're, uh, you know, we just, we, I don't know another word, we feel truly alive or we're experiencing place of revelation. I think that a lot of the things we're talking about come back to that. The art um, allows us to experience it and it allows us to, um, hopefully create and put it back out there, but. Right. And. Um, Do you think people sense that? Like if you're painting something and you really feel like you're existing in that state, do you feel like when people see that work, they can sense that you were in that state? Um, I don't think anybody could truly say that uh, necessarily about any, you know, about anything, but the hope is, right? That the they hope can. Yeah. When, um, so. I was uh, walking from the studio, there's St. Mark's Cathedral, and they have um, an organ, one of those pipe organs. And most of the time when people play the pipe organ, it's, um, it doesn't even sound like music. It sounds like <laughs> noise, right? And there was somebody walking by, and I was like, this is not the normal <laughs> you know, pipe organ guy. He was playing a Bach um, fugue, right? And to hear that, so I had somewhere to go, like I had somewhere important to go, and I couldn't, you know, even talking about things like this sound absolutely idiotic, right? <laughs> um, idiotic to talk about. Um, and so I think that for whatever m moment, the person who is practicing for their, they were visiting from Boston and they had a performance that, that night and they were just practicing, they, it wasn't even their performance. And I felt like, um, you know, human, human beings or my life had weight in that moment because of the music that I was hearing and it absolutely stopped me. And whether I ever make a piece of art that is able to make somebody feel like their life matters 
is completely out of our hand, but I think it's important for artists to live like it does and right. to experience yeah. moments. And so you aspire towards that. I, don't, I think even to aspire to it, you'd be an it's idiot too. to even aspire towards <laughs> it. But, um, but I think, to be honest, for me, to make someone coming up through the pipes feel like they're part of a context that lasts and that has meaning and that there's part of them regardless of how random their life feels right now or how hard their life feels right now. And there's a lot of really anxious, depressed people that aren't talking about it. Mm. And so I feel like art can become a meeting place that's out of the frenetic movement of the world where everybody who's interested sort of meets together even if they're alone. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. yeah. And so in that way, I think what we do has the potential to be important. It becomes such a one-on-one -on -one thing, too. Even if you're at a museum, and by the way, I did not know that museum was meant uh, home, home of museums. Home of museums. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed, and I'm totally admitting that right now. I just don't. But uh, I'm sorry. So anyway. Did you, did you know that? No. <laughs> I, I didn't do that. <laughs> thank so you. Thank you. Um, I'm smarter now. But that one-on-one -on -one thing that you're saying of that being alone, like when you're reading a book, you're you're generally alone <laughs> reading this book. Um, when you're looking at a painting, let's just say since we're painters, we'll, we'll go that way in, in the arts. You can be with a bunch of friends at a museum and talk about it and everything, but it's it's completely it's a, a thing that's processing in your brain and your brain alone. That one specific way, meaning it might be processing, you know, in a similar way in somebody else's, but that's their experience with it, that's and it's their, not it's yours. My reason and my reason alone, not because my friend told me it was cool. Yeah, and when like you that. when you erode people's ability to think, which is what's happening right now, the minute you don't have, um, uh, you know, what happens when we're looking online, where it's a dislocation. Like I'll, I'll be looking. The more uncomfortable my environment is, the more time I spend online. And when I like look up, <laughs> mm. I mean, all, all people have moved. I mean, the environment's no longer the same, and I was completely unconscious. So that ability to go deep is absolutely uh, being eroded. You know, and it's interesting because uh, I just saw in this museum the first um, example of the Ten Commandments. I mean, the first, what do you call that? The first artifact that they found, the earliest yeah, example yeah. of that. And a lot of those are moral laws that everybody would agree on, like, um, you know, don't, don't kill somebody, don't lie to somebody. But what about the idea of resting, you know, idea of rest? And it's interesting because we live a long time, but we rest very, very little. And in a moment of rest, to be able to like preserve that kind of time, the, the time that it takes to create a painting or what you're talking about, actually take in and learn from a painting. Uh, you know, I've never known anyone who's had an experience from a piece of art that's been over, that hasn't been in person. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. in front of a reproduction. Yeah. As opposed to like you were saying, being 
online, googling Rembrandt, and just yeah, and really blown away in that way. But as far as somebody sort of on their knees in front of a painting, it doesn't happen over reproduction. It happens. Yeah. It's always going to be a personal encounter. You know, that's interesting. I've never thought about that. Well, I've asked. I've polled everybody. Every <laughs> I've done whole classes to try to figure out. You know, tell me about your best art moment. Why are you still looking at paintings? You know, why in this day and age when you have so many, do you care about art? And um, it's in front of an original piece. Um, Can I ask you that question? Oh boy, I've had I've had um, Can you, one one that just like a profound is, art moment. The problem is it's so cliche. I don't it, even want to say it. And in, in Rome, in front of the Caravaggios, you know, when you're maxed out, <laughs> yes. you're tired, and you can smell the incense. Yes. And um, it's not actually I, actually I've had a, a a couple. My track speech was about the like seeing the tin, uh, seeing a Tintoretto the, the, in the, conference in, in California because it rocked my world. I, it like it destroyed me that 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 the, painting. Um, the, or like in in Venice to see um, the Ascension by. Um, uh, uh, Titian, because you're walking through here, it's all in reproduction, and so yeah. I've only ever seen it small. But there, you're actually walking under. Um, you're, you're you're smelling the incense. It's a living building, yeah. uh, and and you have the the sound. There was the music. You're walking under uh, a, a crucifixion, like a physical sculpture of a crucifixion, and then on the other end, you see this giant. And Annunciation, and you realize that these were not museums. These were not places where they hung up art to inspire people. These were the backdrops for somebody's real life. Yeah. I mean, these people, how important do you feel if when you go and have your board meeting, your paintings were done by Titian? You're getting a thousand messages a day that you count. <laughs> you know what I mean? So anyway, I find I find some of those things. For me, if it's if it's it's going to be in the woods or in front of an art museum or something yeah. of that effect. But um, anyway, Jay, were well, you ever moved? Were you ever just absolutely blown up? Well, you're you're even though you're an artist, you're you're a musician. Um, was there a, like a piece of music or something that completely destroyed you? Um, yeah, lots. For me, I think the thing I relate to the most in this conversation is the sort of, well, maybe I'm extrapolating, but that feeling that a piece of art, or I'm thinking about music, where it's like almost this comforting feeling that you're not alone, or that somebody else, you know, that your life has meaning, like you were saying. I've gotten that from music, certainly. Anything noteworthy, like, or just... You know, it, it all seems trivial and right. Yeah, like so maybe, just a blanket, maybe, the, the maybe statement. Maybe it's because I was broke, maybe it's because I was, I had broken up with a girl and I was heartbroken and suddenly, you know, a song yeah, yeah, yeah. made me feel like I was a part of something again or that somebody else understood what I was going through or something, yeah. certainly. That's yeah. art. <laughs> and so I think a lot of it also differs is do you believe that that was a real experience pointing to something that ultimately is there or is it an ephemeral sort of mental phosphorescence that sort of disappears when you look at it and I think a lot of people would, would take sides and that's an important point too that yeah. maybe next time we could you know another conversation <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, say it again what do you mean by that what, what, are, you, what are you saying um, is, is do you believe that that was I mean 
we're, we're sort of talking about it, but we're also embarrassed to talk about it because it's one of those things that is uh, truly powerful. Yeah. But when you look at it from the outside, it's almost embarrassing it's to, to be. It's hard to talk about. It is. Yeah. It's, it's, anything you say to put it in words <laughs> is like going to trivialize Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, was it Elvis Costello said that talking about music is like dancing to architecture? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, I've I mean, cried it, in front of architectures. So. Yeah. yeah. There's the uh, 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 um, essay, I don't remember who wrote it, um, called Literature as Revelation. And he said, Basic, this I think it's 19th century essay. I uh, can't remember his name. Said basically anyone who who thinks that their writing or art um, that they don't want it to connect to someone's soul is is, is a liar. Just yeah. a liar. I, <laughs> yeah. I just remembered why I've done the last two books because I <laughs> sort of forgot. So put I'll that in. Yeah. Wherever you want. yeah. Uh, okay. Um, and this I think you'll um, be able to. I, I think it's apart from actually creating any images like the images completely aside, uh, what happens when someone physically learns to draw? With the first couple books, I wasn't an advocate of anyone who wasn't actually seriously going to be studying. Even I didn't even care about reaching uh, an average person with information about drawing. Right. It seemed apart from the point. But now I think um, so much of life is fairly remote that the more that anyone could actually just pick up a pencil and be able to connect to what's truly in front and, and be able to see it is a powerful experiential antidote for just about anybody. And so I think that um, for the first couple books, it was more about just sort of high art and interested in that. But now I've actually become far more interested in just connecting with people independently on the experience of making art right. because that in and of itself is uh, important. When people really experience it, I think they start to understand the complicated process. And they do, and connect deeply. And so what we've talked about, like hit on over and over and over again, is this sort of idea of being able to connect to what's around us and that feeling of utter engagement when we're in a moment and able to truly appreciate whatever it is. And drawing uh, and making art for um, is probably the most intense way to sort of do a visual meditation on exactly where you are at any given moment. And so for anybody to pick that up uh, gives them an entrance way not only into art that's being produced, but also um, a connection to a person's own life, which can be strangely uh, dislocated with um, a digital world, like a sort of two worlds we're inhabiting right now. And when we move into um, the, uh, um, what is it called, with the 3D imaging and... yeah. Virtual, like virtual reality. reality. The virtual reality yeah. stuff, which is, you know, it's here and all that stuff. And, and we're going to be more and more drawn more and into, more into it, yeah. a world like that uh, in the physical world uh, being more eroded. And so if we're talking about ideas of where we feel most alive, and for all of us or most of us, it's going to be happening in the presence of something that actually has a physical component because we're physical beings. And you see that with the resurgence of interest in cooking, you know, just yeah. through the roof mm -hmm. cooking shows yeah. and all that. I always find parallels between what we do and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, interesting parallels. And so for drawing is about uh, seeing and connecting and sort of reaffirming uh, uh, a, a physical world. And for me, um, these last two books are 100%. I put an essay in on seeing to sort of act, uh, underscore that point with this book um, to allow us, you know, to put my uh, vote squarely in the camp of uh, real life. Nice. But thanks, thanks for having me. Thank I you so that. much, Julia. What a great way! Yeah. Like I'm putting it into this, uh, into real life. Thank you so much. Yeah, that, thanks so much. What a perfect, you know, conclusion to that.
Thanks for thanks so me. much. And do you want to? Um, and your your atelier is at the Gage Academy. It's the Aristides Atelier. Atelier at the Gage, Gage Academy, Academy and in your, Seattle. And your website is AristidesArts.com. And obviously, they can get your books everywhere. on Amazon. Yeah, much. I've seen yeah. them everywhere, and it makes me smile every time. <laughs> I'm somewhere. Glad, somewhere I'm like, yes. Yeah, congratulations. It's oh, all. Thanks. It seems so it's great. Our people. And, yeah. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much. And thanks, yeah, really, thanks for your time. And uh, we'll be seeing you. Yeah. I hope so. Thanks. Thank you, the Salmagundi Club, for for hosting us in this beautiful library with all these pallets and books. Yeah, it's beautiful. Thanks. All right, thanks.